0: The following podcast is sponsored by High Beam Ministry.
1: A man was waiting at an airport for a long distance flight. His flight was delayed and so he had a little spare time. He saw a deal on some cookies and thought he should treat himself. He bought quite a few cookies because he thought it might be quite a long delay. He took a seat near a man and started to read the magazine he also picked up earlier. He exchanged a glance with the other man and then tried to avoid eye contact as he went back to reading. While he was engrossed in his magazine, he happened to see that the man sitting beside him boldly grabbed a cookie from the container. He initially ignored the incident to avoid a scene. He grabbed a cookie himself and went back to his magazine. But the man seemed to have enjoyed the cookie so much, he took another one and started eating it too. This continued for a while and with each passing moment, he began to get more and more irritated. Every time he took a cookie, so did the other man. When the last cookie was left, the man nervously took that cookie and broke it in half. He offered the other to the man and smiled. The man took the cookie and could not believe the other man's nerve. He was thinking in his head, how ungrateful could that man be? The other man then left and took the container with him. This guy couldn't believe what had just happened. He was relieved when his flight was called, he gathered his belongings. As he lifted his bag, he saw that there was a full container of cookies right there. He was totally shocked, totally surprised. It caught him off guard. He thought to himself, if my cookies are here, then wait, those cookies were his. The other man had shared his cookies whilst he was thinking he was the one doing the sharing. Whilst he was angry and irritated, the other man was being generous and kind. He felt so bad for what had happened, but he couldn't find the other man anywhere and didn't know how to apologize. Things are not always as they appear. Sometimes we make quick assumptions about people, circumstances and situations. We judge them, label them and put them into a box not recognizing that there is a much bigger picture. Sometimes we meet someone in a particular state, stage or phase of their life and stereotype them to be a certain way. Don't be so quick to judge. You never know when you might find yourself walking in someone else's shoes. And remember, the best apology is changed behavior.
0: This is Maurice. I am the host at the Erzatz Coffee Shop. And you are listening to the Truth Barista Podcast.
2: Welcome to the Airzatz Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your Truth Barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and HighBeamMinistry.com That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M Ministry.com As in Car High beams. We're shining
3: the light of God's truth on the road ahead Truth, barista, we're back in the anointed booth again, and oh, you know, I was so encouraged for the most of last week's study until you got to the end, and then you threw a a wrench into the whole thing, because I was saying that I want to know that before God, I can become more merciful, and I can become more forgiving, because sometimes I'm not. And so then you said, well, there is a principle that you got to take it all into consideration. You can't be merciful or forgiving to something that shouldn't require mercy or forgiveness. So can you explain that? Because that's confusing to me.
2: Okay, I think you misspoke that. Let me put it back into perspective here. We shouldn't extend mercy into a situation that doesn't warrant mercy. For example, if somebody has committed murder, okay, to excuse that for the sake of mercy is actually an injustice. So if somebody has committed murder, it should be judged properly. It is murder, okay? If you take this in a purely Torah aspect, if it's murder, There is a death penalty. You have, as the rabbis would say, forfeited your right to life and to show a murderer mercy by not executing them, that is actually an injustice because you have not met the demands of
3: justice. Okay, so now I see the rest of the story here because I would agree with you. If somebody commits murder, they need to be punished for the crime they've committed. But I, as an individual, if they murdered my my brother, say, they should be punished according to the law for that murder. But I need to forgive and have mercy to them for the act itself. That, okay, now I'm getting the the whole picture because I didn't understand what you meant.
2: Right, and that kind of gets into this idea, and I don't want to get too far. I want to stay on the judgment thing with Matthew 7 is, forgiveness is saying, I will no longer hold punishment against you. I reject my right to exercise retribution. I reject my right to punish you. I will not hold that against you. Let's face it, a murderer is killed with capital punishment. What good does it do for you to say, well, I'm going to punish you again. You, you can't punish a corpse, you know, not that it matters to the person you can punish, you know, wreck the corpse if you want. But even that, by the way, is forbidden by the Torah. This is really kind of fascinating, too, because if a person is a murderer and has been judged as a murderer, how do you extend mercy? Because if the requirement is execution, it must be done merciful. Okay. And even after the person has been killed, the Torah says, then promptly bury the body, because that's not even a merciful thing to do to a corpse. Even though the person isn't even there, now you're just taking out your retribution on a helpless corpse, a helpless body. So the Torah applies mercy where mercy should be, and it applies judgment where judgment should be. And Jesus is saying, yes, we have to judge. We do judge, we can judge, but we have to make sure we do it properly and according to the right standard. And that's where we're
3: at with Matthew 7. I really appreciate that. Now, my other question, which kind of ended last week, is with the dogs and the pigs. We're not talking about farming. We're talking about a principle here. So unpack that once again, because I think that people misunderstand this. Remember last week, I said to you, I was taught originally, that <laughs> That verse in 7-6 was talking about pigs and dogs, and that represented people in the world. I shouldn't take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people that I knew would never accept it. And you said, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. Then you said, however. And so now I want to give you a chance to do the however.
2: Okay. The however is not in verse 6. The however is 3-5. through five. And in order to get to 6, you have to unpack verse 3-5. through five. This is what it says. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and there's a log in your eye? Hypocrite. First, take that log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of the brother's eye. Isn't that interesting? Once you get your job done, now you're qualified to do that other job. It doesn't say, first take it out of your eye and then ignore your brother. This is a warning to us before we judge another person. The upshot of the verse 3 through 5, are we in any position to judge another before we judge them. That's the point. And he uses really typical rabbinic hyperbole here. This is the way rabbis taught to drive their point home. Okay. How big is a speck?
3: Amazing, Larry. Well, it's a pinch. how big is the speck? It's a pinch, like when you're cooking. It's a, Use a pinch it's of this. It <laughs> yeah, it's very like, tiny.
2: Well, look, look here on the table, which you didn't clean off all that well today. Oh, yeah. so I have a to say, speck.
3: there's a couple. Of there's specks, a
2: speck yeah. of pepper right there. Oh, yeah. Okay, mm. see that tiny little thing? You got to look closely. I know. Okay, now imagine trying to look at that pepper speck, and you have a an eight inch. Piece of wood, you know, a slice of a tree in front of your face. Are you going to be able to clean that speck off? You won't even know that speck's there. Mm-mm. Okay. This is what Jesus is getting at. He's making these ridiculous exaggerations to drive his point home. Okay. When you go into looking for specks, you are inspecting somebody else. So do we scrutinize and inspect? another person's tiny fault, sin or infraction, that may not even be a sin Mm. when we're blind to our own faults and sins and infractions that are so glaringly obvious to everybody else. Mm. You see how ridiculous that is? It is. Absolutely. So here's the remedy. It's right here in the verse. Even if there is a speck in somebody else's eye, how can we who have turned a blind eye toward our own problem help them? Our self-justifying rationalizations excuse us, but not others. And yet we're the blind surgeon presumes to operate on somebody else. Excuse me. You know, do you want a blind surgeon to do open heart surgery on you? No, (laughs) because in doing so, he would run the risk, a very good risk of killing you. So when you try to judge somebody else and you've got all this garbage in your own life, you run the risk of hurting the other person. So let me get personal here. When I've taught on this topic to my classes, I'd love to have fun with this list. Are you ready? I am. I am. I'm ready. (laughs) You who judge others as murderers, are you nursing anger against someone? Does your venom spill from the pages of Facebook or the online comment sections? And by the way, I'm taking these cues from what Jesus taught about the law. You who judge others as adulterers, are you involved with pornography or the lingering gaze that undresses the object of your lust as he or she walks by you in the mall? You who judge divorcees, how's your marriage doing? Are you working on it and blessing your spouse or are you tearing her down or him down? You who judge liars and deceivers, do you break your word or fudge the truth to get your own advantage? You who judge those who offend you, do you retaliate or reconcile with those who hurt you? You who judge the show-off givers, prayers, and fasters, do you even give, pray, or fast? Do you actually talk to God or do you blabber with him mindlessly? Do you even talk to him at all? Do you who do other spiritual things hope to be noticed as a spiritual person? Whose reward are you really seeking? Earthly, short-lived, or heavenly and eternal ones? You who proclaim to be godly, are you generous, reflecting your heavenly father, or stingy, reflecting nothing of God? Do you embrace the things of this world or the things of heaven? You who proclaim trust in God, do you worry about your wants and needs when your father has already said he'll care for you? Or do you commit to living the king's way while you patiently ask and wait for his provision? Here's my point. Have you judged others for their little things while your big faults are blinding you? This comes from a rabbi. It's a Jewish teaching from a very old source called Perke Avot, which means the sayings of the fathers. Do not judge your neighbor until you have put yourself in his place.
3: I often wonder if we, when we go to prayer, shouldn't be asking more for mercy as we enter into a prayerful time with God. You have worked in a Lutheran church in the past, I know— And sometimes the liturgy there is so refreshing because you come before God and you ask for forgiveness. It's such a cleansing piece, right? When you're praying then, you're praying out of a forgiven heart rather than a heart that's full of anger or sin or whatever it is, because sometimes we just don't even think about ourselves as being the sinner. We may pray for other sinners, or we may pray for this, but we don't realize the self-awareness spiritually of our own logs in our eyes. We just don't. I know I don't, yeah. Truth Barista.
2: Well, I, and I like that. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I, I'm old enough to have grown up with the red book in the, in the Lutheran Church and the green book, and both of them, the service started with a confession of sins. And it was beautiful. I know the Book of Common Prayer has one too, and it should be something that every Christian before they even start the service goes through. And It was like something like, our God in heaven before whom all thoughts are known, all hearts are open, all thoughts are known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more worthily magnify thee and glorify your holy name. That's pretty close. Mm. But I loved that because you're just going, God, you already know my stuff. So can you please get all that, forgive all that, so that when I come to worship you right now, We start fresh, and I can worship you as you deserve.
3: I love it. I really do. And you know something, Truth Barista, I I like to do that about this time in our conversation. I'll say, Lord, forgive me for not giving Truth Barista the proper amount of coffee he needs to fill up his cup. So forgive me, Lord. So we can start the second half of our conversation in this study cleansed.
2: You are so sad. (laughs) I can't
0: believe you did that. The Bible teaches that nothing will ever change until the heart changes. The only way the heart changes is when God shows up and makes that change. When God is involved in a person's life, anything is possible. Thanks for joining us. All right, recruit, line up. What are you blubbering about? Life is tough. The struggle is real, Sarge. How can I see my way to navigate life better? I go to highbeamministry.com. Highbeam Ministry, as in car high beams. Highbeam Ministry shines the light of God's truth on the road ahead, Sarge. The Truth Barista podcast covers all sorts of topics from the Bible's point of view and they don't shy away from the really tough stuff. And and, and while you're there, check out the totally awesome Frosty Thoughts blog. It's really neat. Tap the subscribe button and enter your email address, Sarge, so High Beam Ministry can let you know when new stuff is posted. Go to highbeamministry.com All one word, highbeamministry.com because... The struggle is real. You know what makes me sad? You do! Maybe we should chug on over to Mambi Pambi Land where maybe we can find some self confidence for you, you jackwagon! Go to highbeamministry.com All one word, highbeamministry.com because the struggle is real.
3: Okay, Truth Barista, now that I'm cleansed and I've made my confession, we can continue on in this conversation in clarity of mind and heart.
2: I am so glad because now we're finally going to get to that verse. You've been looking at verse six. Are you ready for this? I'm
3: ready for the, the dogs, dogs and, the, and hogs. the hogs. Hey, that could wrap dogs in the hogs. No. Yeah.
2: Don't quit your day job. <laughs> okay. Moving along. Verse six. This is, by the way, if you want to say this, the first section is how to judge properly. Then you have two amplifications. Now you have verse six when judging is actually worthless. When not to do it, okay, here's the verse, don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they'll trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. That's pretty graphic. Okay, so here's the thing. Jesus has said, make sure that your own conscience is cleared first before you go to another person. Make sure that you've judged yourself properly so that you can use the same standard on the other person. So assuming our conscience is clear, the logs have been removed from our eyes, and we're able to discern clearly, we may now want to help somebody who does have a speck in their eye. However, and this This is the point. They may not want the speck in their eye pointed out or for you to be the speck removal person. This is the other side of the question regarding judging others. Now, doesn't determining whether someone is a dog or a pig unworthy of a valuable thing requiring a judgment? So you pointed out yourself,
0: you call them dogs and pigs. That's a judgment.
2: See, Jesus is saying, be careful how you judge. What does he mean by dog and pig? Okay, this is hyperbole again. This is rabbinic teaching. Dogs and pigs are non-kosher animals. You don't eat them. In fact, according to the context, the Hebraic context, dogs and pigs are ritually unclean. So if you touch them, you become unclean. And you can't go before God until that uncleanness is removed through washing, usually by water. So it renders you unable to approach God. So a dog or a swine person are those who are in sin and unable to approach God. Now, that could be, in the gospel's case, an unsaved person. But let's say they are saved. Can it get to the point where God says to a person, you can't come near me because you got smelly garbage on you? Okay, that's, that's a saved person who is in unrepentant sin. They have a speck that God says, until you get rid of that smelly speck, don't come close to me. Mm-hmm. All right. So you happen to be there and say, you know, Larry, don't you want to draw close to God? Don't you want that feeling of God's closeness again? Well, you know, you got this sin in your life. It's a little speck of sin, but it's really your harsh attitude toward Maurice. You're just always down on him and you're, uh, no, I know you're not, but I'm just using this as an example, right? It's your attitude that God says is, you know, no wonder you're feeling distant from God. Look at how you're treating Maurice. Okay. I do know that you got into an argument with your wife the other day. Okay, Peter says, husbands and wives, you better get along or husbands, your prayers will be hindered. Mm. Okay, so I would go to you and say, you know, you you got in that argument with your wife and I think you should patch things up. Well, you're not in the mood to patch things up. Are you kidding me? So you turn around and you would say, who do you think you are? You have no business getting into my marriage and judging me. I saw the way you treated that customer the other day, and you turn on me and you shred me. Mm -hmm. Now, in a sense, you are a dog or a pig in the sense that you are ritually unclean because you have an unconfessed sin in your life. And if you're not ready to hear my judgment or receive what I have to offer, you'll turn on me. So even if I were to bring to you something holy, Or a pearl, which is very valuable. You would turn on me. Why? It's not the valuable or the sacred. You'd love that. You just don't like the messenger. Hmm. So Jesus is saying, okay, granted, you may be right and the situation may be right, but watch out for this. So Jesus is really saying some people just don't want your judgment.
3: They don't want your help. So be smart. You know, I don't know if this applies truth, Barista, and you can stop me if if you want. But there are times where I have seen ministers who have been, you know, fallen from grace that have now restored themselves some way and they're back doing what they did before preaching and whatever. And I hold a little bit of I don't want to say a grudge, but just a a caution in what they say, because I think to myself, well, you did it once. Would you do it again by human nature?
2: And in that case, the way I would try to approach it is, number one, I completely understand what you're saying because once burned, twice shy, right? And when when preacher or another leader or even another Christian falls into sin, I don't want to judge them saying you are in sin. That would be a bad judgment because they've already confessed. And especially if they've gone through a solid restoration process, I would say, okay, but I'm going to watch. You've fallen before. I'm not going to hold it against you. But I do have to be aware. Why? Because I understand perfectly. I've done things that I'm not supposed to do. I've confessed them to the Lord. I don't want the Lord to continually hold those things against me that I've confessed and gotten rid of. So now, before I judge you, I make sure I'm clear and I give you the benefit of the doubt. This, I love this. The rabbi's teaching on this is you always give the other person the benefit of the doubt. If there is any doubt about why they did something give them the good benefit, not assume the evil one. And I'll tell you, that solves so
3: many problems right off the bat. Boy, it does. But that's my spec. Or maybe it's my log. I don't know. It's one or the other. Yeah, it's one or the other. But yes, I have to be very careful and ask God in that forgiveness and that mercy and giving that benefit of a doubt because it's hard to overcome something that was violated. Such mm-hmm. as trust.
2: So, to kind of tie up verse six, what Jesus is really saying is be careful about sharing sacred or valuable things, which is good godly correction, right? With those who are unrepentant or reject the things of God. Again, I love the way the rabbis say this. And this comes from a great commentary called Avodah Zorah. And it basic, quote, in the same way that a treasure must not be revealed to everyone, so also the precious words of Torah. One must not go into the deeper meaning of them, except in the presence of those individuals who are suitably trained and worthy. In other words, some people just aren't ready to receive the good thing that you have to offer them. I mean, I may look at a family member and say, you know, I can see so clearly the solution to your problem. But if they're not ready to receive it, they're going to turn on me. And I've experienced that. And it's like, nah, that's just wisdom right there. Okay. This is the way the University Press puts it. And again, in the margins here, correcting those who will not receive correction is futile. We should discerningly continue to offer wisdom or the gift of the kingdom. There's the gospel only to those willing to receive what we offer just as God does to us. So here's the point. If you want to wrap this all up, We're allowed to judge others only in the way that's proper with clean consciences. But we should also exercise discernment. If we are seeing things clearly in another person, we should determine whether that person will appreciate and accept the help we offer, which is removing the speck. Example, Jesus answered the scribes and Pharisees. He offered them a correction to their misunderstanding of the Torah. But when the people of Herod came to him, he just brushed them off along with the Sadducees. Why? Because some of his audience was ready to receive his correction. The others were just asking a, a question to trap him. So Jesus would say, why, yes, let's talk about this. This is good. You, on the other hand, <laughs> I'm not dealing with because you're not even taking this serious.
3: Now, is that <laughs> is that Hebrew or is that Aramaic or what? Or that is
2: definitely Hebrew. It's kind of related to the guttural CH sound. So it's either or <laughs> either way works. <laughs> so anyway. Don't you just love the sound effects in this booth here?
3: Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't think anybody else appreciates it, but I do. Go ahead.
2: Well, I noticed a couple turns their head in shock over there.
3: Anyway,
2: I hope this helps clear this up because this is a really misunderstood verse. It's a misquoted verse. It's not about refusing to judge. It's only about how to judge to make sure we we got everything lined up first and to be careful who we presented to in the right time and in the right way. I That's just it. love it.
3: I love it, Truth Priest, and I know we're going to keep moving forward. So give us a little preview, just like they do at the movies, of what's coming up next.
2: Okay. Well, okay. We're going to get into Matthew. 7 verse 7 through 12. And by the way, this is another misunderstood portion because they take it out of context. This one is actually connected to the judging portion. Keep asking and it'll be given to you. This is the ask and it'll be given search and you'll find knock and the door will be open to you. Okay. When we do that, when we talk a lot about prayer, right? Yes, but this is actually connected to judging. And the sad part is, is that it's the headings in our Bible and it's our verse numberings that throw us off because it separates ideas that shouldn't be separated. So that's what we're going to look at next Friday.
3: Oh, I think that's exciting. I I always wondered about that, ask and and seek and knock. I, I always thought it was about opportunity. You know, don't stop finding opportunity and discovering, you know, your potential and God's potential in your discovery, you know, but it has nothing to do with that is what you're nope. saying. Well,
2: I mean, it, there is a, an application of it. Yes. But that's not the
3: main application, okay. and that's what we're getting at. All right. Thanks, Truth Priester. Once again, you've been stellar in helping us understand the truth. Our culture is confused, and that confusion
0: is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know him and obey him are never confused. Confusion is the absence of truth. But here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening.
2: This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops.